I want to tell you about a masterpiece in the making. You know, it's on this day that we celebrate the masterpiece of God's love. In the book of Romans, it tells us that God demonstrated his love to us in this, that while we were sinners, while we were broken, while we were apart from God, Christ died for us. But not only did he die, he defeated death. That in itself is a masterpiece. In fact, you can look at the empty cross and realize the reality of what Jesus accomplished on that day actually echoes across eternity. But it's a masterpiece that doesn't just sit here on paper. It's a masterpiece that doesn't just stick in that historical moment 2,000 years ago. Rather, it is a masterpiece in the making because God's masterpiece of what God accomplished on that day is multiplying throughout all of eternity and it's multiplying to you and to me. Here's the great glorious truth of this day is it is not only Easter but that we are Easter people. And in the midst of your messy life, in the midst of your broken life, in the midst of the things that you wish that you could have done that you didn't do, the things that you wish you didn't do, your messy life can turn into a masterpiece in the making when the risen Savior, Jesus Christ, gets involved in your life. If you have your Bibles, why don't you open them up to Philippians chapter 1. In fact, we're starting a brand new series today. If you are in a pew, that red book in front of you is one of our pew Bibles. If you don't own one, take one with you. I'd rather you have it than it sit in the pews all week. If you're joining us online, we're going through Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version. And as we come to this moment with joy, with anticipation, as we consider all that God has for us, on this Easter morn. I'm going to read for us Philippians 1, verses 1 through 6. It's on page 953 in your pew Bibles. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with the bishops and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you, constantly praying with joy in every one of my prayers for all of you because of your sharing in the gospel from the first day until now. I am confident of this, that the one who began a good work among you will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ. This, my friends, is the reading of God's word. Let's keep those Bibles up. Let's take a look there at verse six, this great truth. The apostle Paul is saying that I'm confident of this, now you've got to understand that this word that is used in the Greek language is so different than the word for confidence that we use today. You know, often when we hope for something, when we wish for something, it's little more than wishful thinking. You know, I, I hope that I'm going to get a good return this year for my taxes. I, I hope that I'm finally going to make it. I, I hope that my numbers when I go to the doctor will finally drop. I hope that my, my parents will finally reconcile. I hope, I hope, I hope, I wish, I wish, I wish, and we long for things in our lives. It's what makes us human. It's the great leveler of human society that every single one of us has things that we long for, things that we desire, things that we need, that we dream about, that we strive for. And we wish for those things, we hope for those things, we pray for those things. And there's a hope 
unlike anything else when you hope in Jesus Christ. Because what he's saying here, when he says that I'm confident of this, that the one who began a good work in you, he is speaking about God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, that spoke the cosmos into creation. He's saying that I'm confident of this, that that God who created the sunrise, the mountains, who created you, who knows you better than you know yourself, I'm confident of this, that that one who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And what he's saying there, and he says elsewhere in Ephesians 2.10, he says, don't you know that you are God's poema? Let me hear you say poema. Poema. What a great, great word for an Easter morning. It's a Greek word. It literally means masterpiece. It's where we get the word poem from. Do you have any idea that the message of Easter is that through Christ you are a masterpiece? Now, how many of you show fans wake up, look in the mirror every morning and say, you're a masterpiece? (laughs) Anybody do that? Yeah, there we go. There we go. Uh, We're honest here. We're honest people. Yeah, we got to be honest. But there's this truth that God speaks into our lives that so often we forget. You see, Jesus said about the great enemy of God, Satan, that the thief comes to kill and destroy. One of the the job descriptions of God's enemy is a vandal. He wants to vandalize you as a masterpiece. And so he convinces you that the things that people say about you are true. He convinces you that your shortfallings define you. God's enemy convinces you that all the brokenness that the world is saying about you or that you feel internally about yourself is true. But Jesus says, no, the thief comes to kill and destroy. But I, I have come to give you life and life abundant. And the Apostle Paul is speaking to a group of Christians in an era where it's illegal to be a follower of Christ. People were getting killed for their faith. He says, I'm confident of this. I'm certain of this. It's not wishful thinking. It is true. It is certain. I'm holding on to this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion at the day of Jesus Christ, that you are on your way to being a masterpiece in the making. Now, it's one thing for you to say that you're a masterpiece or for somebody who isn't qualified to say, you are a masterpiece. But do you have any idea that for God to say that you are a masterpiece is like someone who is at the top of their game, who says, I, after my life's work, I have this melody or I have this concept, I have this idea that is This is going to be my masterpiece. And I see it in part, but one day I know that it's going to be this great and glorious thing. It's a masterpiece in the making. You see, God speaks to you and looks at you in your brokenness, in your messiness, even in you thinking that you're better than you are. And he says, you are actually a masterpiece in the making. And that's the beauty of Easter Sunday. Is that the very reality that Jesus is alive changes everything about you and me. And the Apostle Paul says that I'm confident of this, that God who began that good work will carry it on to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And the reason why he can speak with such certainty, the reason why he can speak with such boldness is because God is like no other. Because when God says that God will do something, it's as good as done. You see, from God's point of view, God is outside of eternity, holds it all together. 
I even say that he's outside of eternity because the word eternity is, is part of the English language. God is outside even ways that we can wrap our human language around. God isn't bound by time. And when he looks at you and he says that you are a masterpiece in the making, what he is doing is he is looking at you from an eternal perspective. And often we think about following Jesus. We often think about this guy that lived 2,000 years ago. How can I live like Jesus? How can I love like Jesus? What would Jesus have done? We find the truth kind of buried in Scripture or, or in history. And we almost imagine Jesus from the past kind of pushing us forward into the future. But the Apostle Paul says, no, no, you've got to understand that Jesus is in this place right now outside of time, in the new heavens and the new earth, where there's no more brokenness, there's no more sadness, there's no more cancer, there's no more death, there's no more traffic, there's no more taxes. In the midst of all of that, Jesus is there because not only has he defeated death, but Scripture says that he's going to have the last word. And he is there with us in this future reality. You, by his side, Truly a masterpiece, truly complete, truly filled with peace, truly filled with joy, truly filled with satisfaction and purpose. And the Apostle Paul, inspired by God's Spirit, is having this perspective. He's saying, I'm confident because it's already done. He's already started it. Now you're in the midst of this work that God is doing in and through your life. And the reason why Jesus defeated death wasn't just so that we could celebrate him on an Easter Sunday and that's it and pack up and go home and have lunch and have a brunch and then come back next year <laughs> or next decade. He's saying there is brokenness in the society. There is systemic evil in this world. I have come to break the chains of injustice and hate and bigotry and laziness. And Jesus is saying, I am alive so that you can start living. So you can be part of my restoration of all things, that you can actually create a masterpiece, not only for you, but for my name. That through you, lives will be changed. You see, the masterpiece of the empty cross is that it multiplies throughout all of human history through you and through me, if we allow it. And so what happens when I meet people in the midst of their brokenness, when they are allowing themselves or the world to narrate their situation, ah, it's hopeless. There's no chance for a comeback. It's terminal. It's unfixable. You see, we let the world, we let the enemy narrate our situations. But if you allow the truth that Jesus is alive, that Christ is risen, that if you allow that truth to penetrate deep into your heart and allow it to, to narrate those situations, then what happens? You see somebody in the midst of brokenness, in the midst of loss, crying out to God, and you say, wow, right there, that's, that's a masterpiece in the making. God's going to use that for his glory. When you see a relationship on the ropes, and for the first time they say, God, would you come into our relationship? Would you transform us? In that moment, it's a masterpiece in the making. When somebody's caught up in addiction and finally reaches the end of the rope and says, okay, God, I need you, rescue me. That's a masterpiece in the making. When somebody with great wealth and influence leverages the resources for the kingdom of God, that is a masterpiece in the making. 
And why can I say that? Romans 8, 11, that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. What a truth. The same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead lives in you, lives in your marriage, lives in the midst of your career, lives in the midst of your fears, lives in the midst of your doubts, lives in the midst of your addictions. The same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead lives in you. You see, we have a historical perspective. Here we are, 2017. We look back and it's, I mean, it's gorgeous. We look through an empty cross. It wasn't always empty. There was hours of pain and agony where Jesus, not as a victim, but victoriously went to the cross for you and for me. But before that, Jesus was betrayed. Before that, he was forsaken. He was arrested. And I imagine those disciples who had no idea what was going on, the last thing they thought was a masterpiece in the making. The last thing they thought was the longest winning streak of all time, death finally being defeated. The last thing they thought was that. It ended with Jesus in the grave. Put yourself in their shoes. In that moment, they couldn't see beyond the fact that the person they'd been following for years was now dead. No hope, no love, no joy. No redemption. Ah, but God, the great architect, the great artist of humanity, looked at all of that and said, ah, oh, that betrayal, it's still, it's, it's, a, it's a masterpiece in the making. That, that crucifixion, it's, it's a masterpiece in the making. Buried in the grave, that's still a masterpiece in the making. So if we can look back through the empty cross, God looks at you through your revived and renewed perfect self in the future. And he says, won't you follow me? I'm already there in the future. Won't you come to the place that you're headed? Would you choose to live into this masterpiece that I'm creating in your life? Would you allow me to do a work in you? Would you trust me? I mean, we go to the gym giving trust to our trainers, don't we? And we say, I I'm, I'm putting myself in your hands. This is going to be hard. This is going to be difficult. I'm going to be mad at you. I'm going to curse you under my breath. But I'm going to let you do this transformation because I trust you. We do this with coaches. We do this with mentors. We do this with people in our lives. Why don't we do it with the one that can actually change our life for all of eternity? We're beginning a series today, and I want you to come back next week. By the way, we're open 52 Sundays a year, by the way. I know. I just don't know that. It's a, it's a, as you, even as people are traveling, I got some texts this morning of people in Tokyo who are traveling. You can join us online every week. But we're starting a brand new series. As you leave today, you're going to receive a little card that outlines the series that we're going through, and it's called A Life Like No Other. This is more than the life you've always wanted. You know, I often hear speakers saying, I'm going to give you the life you always wanted. Three steps, the life you always wanted. You don't want enough. You don't actually have a perspective of the level that God wants to do in and through you. He doesn't, he doesn't think that your, your wishes 
are grand enough. And he says, would you choose to trust me, to follow me, to, to allow me to give you a life like no other, a life that you can't give yourself? And you'll be handed a card, and you're going to take that home with you, and you're going to check us out online. Maybe you'll come back, because this is the time. This is the time where you say, God, would you do a work in and through me? There's people in your life that, that trust you, that love you, that need you. Think of the people in your life right now that are racked with addiction, that are racked with brokenness. Maybe God wants to use you to bring them hope, to bring them healing. You see, God wants to do a masterpiece not only in you, but also through you to those you love. Some of you today might be saying, no, not, not, not me. You have no idea what I did last night. You have no idea what I did the last 30 years. God can't begin a work in me because I'm not good enough. I, I don't measure up. That's the good news. There's no life too far from God. There's no brokenness that isn't restorable. There's no deep chasm that God is unwilling to go down to. There's no dark alley that Jesus is not willing to courageously go into to rescue you to redeem you, to revive you, to renew you. A couple weeks ago, we had a moment in our staff meeting where we were talking about this service. And Pastor Kim said, Greg, you've got to tell your story. And we looked at Greg, and he's just sat there. And he says, Drew, if you want me to, I will. And in a moment, you're going to hear a story that maybe some of you will connect with that will resonate in your life. In a moment, the band's going to come up as well, but I share this to remind you of the kind of freedom that God brings. That the fact that the Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. So come on up, Greg. Why don't you share? Let's give a warm Easter welcome to Greg Bennett. I got to be honest, uh, there's a big part of me that didn't want to get up here this morning. Though I'm extremely excited to tell you how God revived and renewed me in a powerful way when I was younger. Um, I didn't want to get up here and stand in front of you and re even remotely give you the impression that I think I got it together. Or that because I'm on staff at this church that somehow I don't need God to continually work in my life. For me, Revival and renewing is an ongoing process and it's part of my journey with God. But I do want to share with you how that journey began. When I grew up, I was a, a thrill seeker. And in high school, I started experimenting with drugs and it was mainly marijuana at the start. But by the time I got to college, I was doing shrooms and acid and ecstasy and finally landed on my drug of choice and that was cocaine. And unfortunately, at that time, I came into an inheritance, and that created a recipe for disaster. Because when you combine those three things, when you combine a thrill-seeking personality with a highly addictive substance like cocaine, and you throw in access to cash, it created a perfect storm in my life. And I would begin to spiral completely, entirely out of control. I was doing coke every day. 
And I had an ATM card that gave me a $350 a day limit on what I can take out of my account. And for a couple years, that determined how much Coke I did. I was doing between three and four grams of Coke every day. And, you know, to put that in perspective, it's easily about 10 times what maybe a recreational user would use if they went out at night. And I was doing 10 times of that amount every day. I was so far out of control that uh, even though I was a part of a fraternity that was known as the drug fraternity and everybody there were partiers, even my party friends realized how desperate and how out of control I was. And they tried an intervention and to get me professional help, but it wasn't successful. I was completely trapped. I was completely in bondage. And through a series of events, I'd find myself living in Colorado, and at the end of a a long day of skiing, I fell and I crushed my hand. And that led to a surgery where I got a staph infection, and that ended up leading to three more operations. And at one point, the staph infection was all the way up to my shoulder, and I could have died. But God used that accident to actually get me back to Missouri, where my parents lived, I really had no other option but to move back in with my parents and uh, just to try to continue to recover and regroup. And during that season, I was just trying to kind of keep the peace in my parents' home and try to keep my parents happy a little bit. So on occasion, I was going to church with them. And there was one evening where I was at a service and I was just sitting there and I really wasn't participating. I was just sitting in the back and people all around me were singing and they're worshiping. And I just started to feel this, this wave after wave after wave of like, the only way I can describe it was I was, I was feeling God's love just like sweep over me. And I began to, to weep and, and, and cry. I couldn't, I couldn't handle the emotions. And and, and I just, in my mind, I could hear clearly, it was like somebody was saying, I love you. I love you. I love you. And I remember like asking why. I don't even like me. But it continued, I love you. I love you. Now, I'd grown up going to church with my parents, and so I knew that typically there was a time of singing, and then there was a time of teaching, and then maybe at the end there would be a time where you'd be invited to respond in some way, and I knew we were in the singing part, and this wasn't the time to respond, but I was completely wrecked, and I knew I had to step out and respond in some way to what I felt like God was doing to me inside of me, and so I tried to be as discreet as possible, and I I slipped outside of my chair and it was a big, there's a big platform like here and, and I got in the far corner as, as far away in the shadows as I could be and I just dropped to my knees and I was crying so hard I didn't even know what to pray and all I could get out was like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But all I kept hearing in my head was, I love you, I love you. And someone would come and they knelt down next to me and they put their arm around me and they prayed this very simple prayer. They just said, God, would you meet Greg right now where he's at? That was it. And in that moment, that's exactly what God did. God overwhelmed me 
in that moment and stepped into my brokenness, stepped into my messiness, stepped into my fractured life. And he restored me, he renewed me, and in that moment, I felt his love and he delivered me immediately from my cocaine addiction, something I was unable to do, something that had complete power over me, he broke it. And it wasn't like everything in my life was fixed from that moment forward and I would continue to have struggles. But in that moment, God stepped in with his love and met me where I was at. And the reason I'm standing up here today and the reason that I'm sharing my story is I believe so deeply in the core of my being that everybody in this room or everybody listening online needs to know needs to hear God say, I love you. I love you. And there's no brokenness, no mess, no addiction, no pit, no lostness that's too far, for, too far gone for God. And he wants to step into that. If you'll only let him, if you'll only invite him, would you please bow your heads? God, we just come to this moment and we are at varying stages of maybe our journey with you, God. Some of us may be here right now and we've walked with you for years and maybe everything's amazing, but for some of us, maybe it's we've, our relationship has grown distant with you. Or maybe things have creeped into our life that have a hold over us that are controlling us in ways that we don't wanna be controlled and we know are not right. Or maybe we're here and we're, discovering for the very first time that you love us. God, I pray that no matter where we find ourselves this morning, that every person would hear you say, I love you. And would you step towards us and would you reveal yourself to us in a mighty way? We ask this in the precious and the powerful and the saving name of Jesus.